we're going to um, look at a passage from Matthew 25. So you should have some Bibles at the end of um, your pews. If you want to just grab those. We normally have like lovely little white printed sheets, but um, today we're actually going to pick up the real Bible, which is fun. Um, so, so Matthew 25 is on page 27 of the New Testament. Um, I, I, I'm just going to read. So, so it's 25 verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them began, became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No. There will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Um, Let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable told so many years ago. We pray that tonight you would speak through it to us. We pray that you would speak into our hearts, that you would pierce the darkness of our hearts with your living word. Amen. Um, this, this morning, as I was saying, uh, I, I, I was... Uh, my church, um, uh, All Saints, and sort of, I was rushing back. So it was about seven seven a.m. in the morning. Um, Emma and I were driving up the M3, and we got to Fleet Services, and we drove in. And I'm like, okay, right, we need some coffee. It's like that time in the morning. You need to keep awake, right? Come in. There's a drive-through there, Starbucks drive-through. It's great. I kind of like swing in, and I, I, I get to the drive-through, and there's three cars in front of me. Seven o'clock in the morning, three cars in front of me. And I'm like, this drive through is supposed to be fast, it's supposed to be quick. And we had to wait like five minutes for a coffee. Don't you think that's disgusting? Five minutes for a coffee. It's, oh, particularly like in the morning. But anyway, waiting, waiting is a part of life. Wait, waiting, we all have to wait. And, and, and it's a bit annoying at times. But I mean, a, a lot of us have to wait for far more serious things than coffee. We have to wait for far more serious things. And I'm sure lots of us here are waiting for something. Uh, Jago was talking about like, the new term beginning. We're, we're waiting for that. But also we're waiting in our lives for things to begin to. We're waiting for things to happen to us. 
It might be relationships, it might be babies, it might be jobs, it might be people moving in, people moving out. It might be all kinds of things in our lives. But a lot of us are waiting. And I I think in our society, we we have this kind of problem with waiting. I'm not sure if it's entirely Starbucks' fault, but I think they're part of the problem. Because you can arrive and you can get this lovely, you know, prepared coffee with your name on, like, just like that. I I want a frappuccino, and it's in my hand straight away. That's the life we've come to expect, almost, in a strange sort of way. Our generation can get all the knowledge they want just just on their phones. It's ruined pub quizzes. And so, you know those pub conversations that used to go on for hours and hours and hours? Now they're over in a second because someone literally just looks up the answer to whatever question you ask and it's over. You see, we're not used to waiting. We have the kind of, we demand it now type culture. We're going to look at a sort of a very different culture in this parable. We're going to look at a very different time and see actually that God calls us all into a life of waiting. And it's a very interesting, powerful thing. But I, I, I just want to start off uh, tonight by just thinking about the context of this, um, this passage. So, so we're in uh, Matthew 25, and you've got um, Matthew 24 before it. And the two sort of go together. It, it's a passage where Jesus is teaching um, on the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem, just his close disciples. It's just before his, his arrest. So literally in the next passage, it goes into the Last Supper and then he's arrested. So, so it's some of his last teaching he's giving. And he's helping them. And he's comforting them. And he's telling them some big truths. If you actually spend a bit of time later, it's very interesting reading through 24 and 25. Because it contains a whole kind of tied up piece of teaching there. And it's all about Jesus coming again. He's talked about going away, and now he's telling the disciples, there will be a day when I come back. Wait for that day, but be ready for it. Let's just have a little look um, at this passage. Um, The first verse says this. It says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, Now the bridegroom, generally in, in sort of, uh, in, uh, it represents Jesus. So, so the bridegroom, Jesus is talking about himself. So he's saying these bridesmaids. And who, who are the bridesmaids? The bridesmaids in this picture are, are, are all those who are waiting for Jesus. All those who are waiting for the day that he's going to come. It, it, it's a bit different. Bridesmaids might not be the best term as we think about like girls in pretty dresses coming down the aisle and things. But they had a very different role back then. In the first century Jewish wedding, it would be you go, the groom goes to the bride's parents' house and sort of they have sort of a little festivity, they kind of have the chat about dowry, all this kind of stuff. Then the bride and the groom march across the town to the groom's parents' house and they have a big party to welcome the bride into the family. These bridesmaids were waiting to accompany the procession. And these events would sometimes go on for days and days, maybe even up to a week, it says. So they knew they were going to have to wait, but they didn't know how long. And that they were starting to get a bit sleepy. They're starting to get a bit drowsy, it says. And I I think think we we know what that's like when we've been waiting a long time for something. 
we know what it's like to wait. And I, I think when we look at our world, we, we see a world in waiting, a world in waiting for something. I think all of those little things that we're waiting for, all those little discontentments which we have, where we, we wish we had more, we wish we had more, is due to a bigger discontentment. That, that actually we, we were created, and we, we were created to walk with God. And we don't walk with God anymore. And it's a sad thing because there's been a disconnect. We've been broken away. We're no longer walking with him. But we wish we could again. We could, wish we could have that intimacy with him, that we could talk to him, that we could be close to him. And there's a discontentment in the world until that day that we walk alongside and have that inter- intimacy again. That you see right at the end when you go to Revelation, it says, and God wipes every tear from every eye. And it's, oh, it's a powerful. Finally, it has come. Finally, the moment has come. So, so what, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for this day that Jesus says he will come again. The day, the end day where this world's remade, that God walks with his people again. So let's carry on. How are we supposed to wait then? We we know we're waiting for this day, but how are we supposed to wait? And this parable's great. It makes it very clear that, that there's a foolish way to wait and that there's a wise way to wait. So so when we look, let's look, um, verse 3, it says, When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Foolish, no oil. But the wise took flasks with oil for their lamps. Waiting without oil. You see, these guys had a job to do. You know, we talked about it, they were going to process from here to here. They, They were going to show the way. They're going to they were supposed to light their lamps. They were supposed to process through the town. That They had, had an important job to do. These bridesmaids had a privileged position that they were the torchbearers for this procession. And they would shout, here comes the groom, here comes the bride. Come on, everyone, it's time to celebrate. The waiting's over. But you see, half of them forgot that they needed oil for the lamps. They would have been excited. Oh, look, I, I, I'm a torchbearer in the procession. Look at me, look at me. I, I've got this beautiful lamp. I'm, I'm ready to go. But there was nothing underneath. There was no way they could do that because they didn't bring the oil with them. I, I, I think that, that this passage speaks really starkly to, to, to people, particularly actually it speaks to Christians, it feels, that people who, who say that they're waiting for God Maybe they come to church, they sing a song, that they participate, but then underneath, there's no faith. There's no deep reserve of faith to keep that person burning through the nighttime. And nighttime's come to us all. And you might have two people who look very similar. They both got their torches, they're both standing there, but one has oil and one doesn't. One is wise and one is foolish. There's a separation that happens in this parable. I guess the next question um, is, when will the bridegroom return? When will Jesus return? And we we see this in verse 5. It says, as the bridegroom was delayed, was delayed, all of them uh, became drowsy and slept. I, I have said became 
has begun every time I've read this passage today, which is four times. It's scary. <laughs> um, so the bridegroom was delayed. We, we, we see that um, there is going to be a delay. Jesus is telling us there's going to be a delay. In the first century, they had this, this belief that Jesus was going to come back straight away. In their lifetimes, they thought he would arrive, he would come back. And then they had to radically rethink what they thought because he didn't come back. But you see here, Jesus clearly says, he says the bridegroom will be delayed. People will fall asleep. Maybe the church is falling asleep. It's been so long that the church is becoming drowsy. And I, I definitely think we can feel that in this country. That the church in some parts is becoming drowsy. It's starting to fall into a slumber. In the long waiting. But I also think there's a lovely thing here. Have you noticed that the wise also fell asleep? So it wasn't a bad thing to fall asleep. The wise could sleep. They could have rest in their waiting. And that is a powerful thing. Why could they do that? They could do that because they had oil. They had the oil. They were ready. They knew the moment he came back that um, they, they would be able to go and be ready. So they slept. They rested. I, I think this passage says something powerful about us being able to find rest even in our waiting. And, and to be honest, like in a room this size with this number of people, there must be all kinds of situations going on in your lives. All kinds of struggles, all kinds of worries must be going along in your heads. Kind of real life stuff. How can I get through this? How can I get through this, Lord, you're saying? But here, this passage tells us that we can rest in it. And it, I've got a really, like, one of my favorite hymns. Um, it is, is this hymn called Blessed Assurance. It's by an American lady called Fanny Crosby. Um, and, and it starts like this. It says, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Isn't that wonderful? It is just such a lovely piece of writing which describes exactly what I'm trying to explain here. We can know a blessed assurance. We can know an assurance, which means that we can sleep, we can rest, we can have assurance that when Jesus comes, we are ready. And we have that assurance because Jesus is mine. You, you see, Jesus, Jesus says, if you repent, if you turn to him, that he will give you a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. And it will be like having Jesus with you. Jesus is mine. And you see, that is the foretaste of glory divine. The foretaste of glory divine is to know God, even in those little bits. It means as we worship, the Holy Spirit inside of us is communicating with us, is talking to us. As we pray, as we cry out to God, the Spirit is with us. It's almost like we're back walking in the garden with him. Walking in the garden with God, we can know him. And that is an amazing thing. And this is what we see in this passage. Let, let's go on. Uh, because this is actually quite a stark passage as well. 
that there's an amazing, joyous celebration which is coming. There's a wedding. There's a wedding. Isn't this exciting? There's going to be a big party. There's joy. But there's also people who are left out. Let's just read that little bit. Let's look at verse 8. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some. You see, we find here that faith cannot be shared. We can't share our faith. Um, we can't give it to someone else. We can't give it to our wife or our husband. We can't receive it from our parents. It's a personal decision that we make. And we alone are responsible for it. We alone are responsible for getting that oil and being ready and preparing ourselves for the coming of the Messiah. This is, this is, this is stark. This feels quite harsh. Because then it goes on and it says... Um, and while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into the wedding banquet, the banquet, the exciting thing. But, and the door was, was shut, and the other bridesmaids came, and they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. You see, they're shut outside. And then in the next verse, we see, we, we see the reason. You see, he comes out and he says, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. They're shut out because they do not know the bridegroom. I mean, mean tonight, I mean, it's a hard thing to say, but do, do we all in this room know Jesus? Do, do we all have that blessed assurance I talked about? Are we all confident that when we get to that day, when Jesus finally does come, that we will be able to say we know you. And I mean, this is what Jesus is trying to say in a powerful way, that there will be some who don't, some who would have fallen asleep. And it's something that we need to keep on our minds and keep praying through and thinking about our friends as well, those who don't yet know Jesus. I mean... That, that, that feels stark, and I, I, I was racking my brains as I was preparing this, and I, I was thinking, but that seems like a very harsh thing, and Jesus is the one who's saying this. Jesus is the one who's saying this, the most loving man who ever lived. And I, uh, I, I saw this um, bit which St. Peter writes in, um, in 2 Peter 3. He says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that wonderful? There's a sense here, Jesus warning, warning us that the door shuts one day. But also, what do we learn here about the heart of God? The heart of God is for us. The heart of God is for us because he wants each of us to be saved. God loved us so much that he, he sent his son to earth. He sent his son to die for us so we could come into the banquet, so we could all have an invitation and all are invited to this party through Jesus. 
Jesus went through beatings. He was rejected. He was thrown out. I'm sure he wasn't invited to a whole bunch of parties in Jerusalem back then. And he did it so we can be invited to the big party that matters. There will be a day that comes which we need to be ready for. There will be a dividing line. And actually, as you read the rest of this um, chapter, you get on to the sheep and the goats, where it becomes even starker, that Jesus comes and divides out those who know him and those who don't. And it's a day we have to be ready for. I guess um, waiting is the main thing I wanted to talk about here tonight. Because I think there's a real power in waiting. I think each of us are drawn into a life of waiting, waiting for that day when Jesus comes. And we see in the Bible that all the way through the Bible, waiting is like the mechanism that God grows great people. You see like Abraham, and he has to wait until he's 100 till he gets his promised son. I'm not sure how that's physically possible, but he waits till he was 100. And Israel are waiting in the desert for 40 years till they get to the promised land. And they go into exile for 70 years until they get to come back. And even Jesus had to wait 30 years until he started his public ministry. It is through waiting that God grows great people. And, and we need to think about how we are being built. Let's think about our society. Our society kind of pushes us on this idea of, you know, that Starbucks thing I was talking about at the start. The idea that I have a need, a want, and I can take it straight away. And it kind of bleeds out into our lives that we'll be like that. That we should get everything we want right away. And that kind of bleeds into the stuff of God as well. That we think whatever we want, we should get now. God's way is kind of a longer way, a way of like more like diamonds, that our life should be like diamonds. So it's something that is formed over long, long periods under immense pressure. This is how God grows in us. Greatness grows in us, the kind of people he wants. I mean, there's a great temptation here. There's a temptation that we try and force God. Force God to do what we want. And I I think this is how the sort of bridesmaids saw it. They were forcing God. But they they were forcing kind of the situation. They were doing what they wanted at that time. But in forcing God, we, we, we are foolish. But you see, the wise wait on God. And, and, and in this place, we, we, we see a wonderful chance tonight to wait on God and to remember. I think, I mean, if we're silent for a second, we suddenly hear the outside coming in, the busyness of life overwhelming us. And I find that in my quiet times, that I suddenly, whenever I try and be silent and wait on God, stuff pops into my head, stuff starts. I think, oh, my phone my emails, things start, things start. Is there a way we can stop completely and wait on God and let him act in our life? Because I think this is what this parable is saying to us in a powerful way. Wait 
be prepared and be excited about the wedding banquet to come. I, I, I just want to uh, just finish with a time of silence, a time where each of us can wait on the Lord in whatever way, uh, in whatever situation we are in. Um, I'm just going to say, actually, the last verse of blessed assurance as we go into our time of waiting. Blessed assurance says, um, perfect submission, all is at rest. I, in my Savior, am happy and blessed, watching and waiting and looking above, filled with his goodness and lost in his love. So, Lord Jesus, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you now. Um, we wait upon you now with no words, no music, nothing to force it. Just a time for us to come to God. And we pray that we could feel your goodness now and we can get lost in our love, in your love in a time of sound.